0: Amen. So Christmas has been packed up, although I have to say that we got an extremely large donation of creamer (laughs) from Target for our pantry, and not only is it more creamer than anyone could ever really use is taking up an awful lot of space, which could possibly be uh, used for more profitable foods than turkey, uh, turkey spice. <laughs> Pumpkin spice, that, that might be a new flavor. We should check in with them about that one. Pumpkin spice and peppermint, there's two different ones. So if you want to keep the Christmas thing going, please make your way after the service round to the, that side of the building and pick up some creamer, okay? But apart from the creamer, Christmas has been mostly packed up. And we're back with uh, uh, the series on Acts. And these banners are back, and they remind us um, that the outside and the inside of this building are, are the same. We are the same as the people. We, we carry the same burdens, we face the same challenges. Um, and we have the same invitation from a God who loves us to enter into a relationship with Him, which is not based on religion, It is based on a creator who loves his creation. And we were made to walk with him. We were made to uh, know him and be known by him and and relate daily with his story. And that's what we're doing in Acts. It's it's really people who kind of captured that when Jesus came and they captured that God had actually come among them, and stepped into their world so they could know him. And they learned about the loving heart of, of their father who Jesus called Father. And an amazing story of the early church that we're looking at, which by which we hope to understand somewhat our story in life. Uh, what is the good life? What is the meaningful life? How to live wisely? Uh, what are we called to? The fact that we sung about the kingdom. Uh, this story says that the kingdom is here, and there is a king, and that we owe him our allegiance. But he is not a despotic, authoritarian, angry king. He is a king who came to invite us to be part of a good kingdom where we would, we would live according to the standards of that kingdom which are about love and peace and joy and hopefulness, compassion and care for one another and the breaking down of barriers and walls that former enemies might become brothers and sisters. That's pretty cool, I think. So we're in Acts. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. That's where we're at. We're about a third the way through or so. We're going to continue on till Easter and then take a break uh, and then uh, finish up uh, toward the summer in this journey through Acts. Um, imagine if I was to describe you using the following three words relevant, spectacular, powerful. How would you feel about yourself? If I was to say, you know, my friend, blank he or she is, they're so, they're relevant. there's so, this relevance, there's relevancy about them, they're spectacular, they're powerful, you feel pretty good about yourself, wouldn't you? Imagine you heard New Song Church described like that, you're in Trader, Trader Joe's, and, and someone is in the line, they're like, oh, I went to this church called New Song, it was so relevant, and so spectacular, and so powerful, you'd feel like, oh, that's pretty cool, I'd feel, I'm, I'm associated with that church, I feel good about myself. Um, it would look good on a resume, or a church website, those words, and they're often used, actually. Well, it may surprise you to learn that those words, as they're most commonly understood, actually describe elements of our culture that are really almost in direct opposition to the call of God uh, to our lives. And, and these words describe, actually, the, the tools by which most of the wheeling and dealing gets of this world gets done. The power of relevancy, spectacle, Power. And not just in the wider culture, but in churches in America and around the world, but perhaps particularly in this country, in America. I'm going to introduce you to a mentor of mine. I've never met him, but he mentored me nonetheless. His name is Henri Nouwen, and he passed away in 1996, and he is a fitting personality, I think, to bring into this journey that we're taking through Acts, particularly in the concept of story. Uh, At one point, he wrote to a student and said, your story is the story with which you can come to know God's story better. It is his story that makes your life worth living. So he's appropriate, I think. He wrote many books, popular books on Christian spirituality, including The Return of the Prodigal Son and The Wounded Healer. My favorite book of his is a little book called In the Name of Jesus. And I've read it several times, and actually I read it again this week. It takes about like an hour to read probably if you're fast like me, um, and it's just quite a short read, but it's packed with wisdom. Who wants to borrow it, it's right there, okay? It's packed with wisdom um, that I find just resonates with the heart of God. It's about leadership, and you know, if you really think about it, we're all leaders in some way in our our lives, so leadership is, is not a concept just for a select few, it's something for all of us to think about. And I think this book is a wonderful partner for us in this text this morning in Acts chapter eight because Henri Nouwen speaks a strong word against the tendencies of the church, particularly the church, to traffic in the use of power in much the same manner as the world does. And I believe if we are truly to be the kind of community that God seeks us to be, then we need to understand the dynamics and the pitfalls of power in this world. So these three words—relevant, spectacular, and powerful—are actually from that book. And Orny Nowon calls them temptations. He says these words are temptations. He wrote, "Too often I looked at being relevant, talking about his previous life and ministry and work. I looked at being relevant, spectacular, and powerful as ingredients of an effective ministry. The truth, however, is these are not vocations but temptations. So vocations—they're not—they don't have moral." It's just what you do. It's acts, vocations. I, this is the vocation of my life. He says they are not that. They are moral issues. They are temptations. They, are, they lead to the weakening of human life, and they tend to destruction. So at this point in the story in Acts, we see actually these things start to arise. The possibility of these by, dynamics being by which they might continue the ministry that is started by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we see that, that this arises in their midst, what are they going to do about it? You know, last time we were in Acts, we were on a cliffhanger, remember that? We talked about your favorite cliffhangers in movies. Um, and it was a real cliffhanger, they, they just everything just kind of went wrong. Stephen, who was a person who'd been chosen to help serve the people, uh, ended up in, a, in a somewhat of a debate with some uh, uh, others, and, and they ended up dragging him off and they stoned him to death. And then a great persecution brought out. Basically, the floodgates broke. It's like, okay, we're done with these meddlers. And what were the people, they, what they were doing, they were being persecuted for doing good. They were sharing all the belongings they had. They were meeting daily, and, but they were a threat to the power of the day. And that wasn't going to be taken lightly. So they were, he, was, he was murdered. And then a person by the name of Saul apparently is on the rampage going from house to house and dragging people off to prison who named the name Jesus. So let's catch up with the story. Acts chapter eight, starting at verse four. So the, the verse before there, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people both high and low gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. I just want to say at that point, so it's kind of an interesting little moment where it sounds like there's kind of these two movements where they're baptized in Jesus, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. And most commentators say that well, what's happening here is just a validation of something new. Samaria was a place um, out with the Jewish uh, community. There uh, were enemies, pretty much, the Jews and the Samarians. And then it moves to the Gentiles. So it seems that in Acts, each time the gospel spreads to a new community, a new group of people, There is kind of a validation by the the apostles who were with Jesus and they come. And something happens, like when the Holy Spirit first came, there was kind of this remarkable outpouring of power. And it kind of validates it to say this is the real thing. Christ has truly shown up in this community. They are now your brothers and your sisters. So it's kind of more for them than it's any kind of statement on how these things happen. Because sometimes the order is reversed and things are different. I just want to mention that for those who are interested in such things. That's you, just you. He said looking at no one in particular. Okay. So Philip probably goes to Samaria as much to escape persecution as he does to preach the gospel. This is kind of mission by escape, you know. He goes off. Um, terrible things have happened, but we've seen that God can use any circumstance, any situation to continue and accomplish his work. Nothing will, No obstacle will stand in the way, nothing, not sickness, not death. When uh, Tyler was doing that song before, um, I was thinking of the text in Romans 8 where it says, what can, st- what can stand between the love of God and us? Nothing, not powers, principalities, not sickness, not death, nothing. That's the powerful thing. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, if you're in the will of God, someone once told me, there's no wall, no army that can stop God's work in your life. You realize that? That's freedom. What he wants to do, nothing can stop it. Except yourself, actually, with your own stubborn desire to do your own thing, right? Guilty. But he continues on. So it's happening here in Samaria. And this is amazing, because the very place where Jesus said that his followers should go, he told them, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit falls upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Whoa, what's, okay. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong, I'm looking at the slides, it's confusing me for a second. Don't look at the stuff up there, Grant. <laughs> so, Luke, who writes Acts, is very particular in the stories that he tells. Other people went other places, but he tells this particular story because it is truly showing that what Jesus said his people would do, be witnesses in these places, is actually happening. They go into Samaria, and 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 it's amazing. The gospel's going into the world. Not only that, but it's breaking down barriers. People who formerly were enemies are being brought into this relationship, this relationship Connection, this family, as brothers and sisters called to love and accept and prefer one another. That is radical. Then, it's radical now that the gospel breaks down the differences that people continue to put between themselves. People are again being awakened to the truth, love, and freedom of Christ. God's Spirit is once again using people to do this. That's crazy. You Think about that. If you know anything about your own frailty, weakness, and you say, God uses you to do this, that's pretty humbling. But it's also where the danger lies. It's dangerous. And it's made clear by the introduction now of a new character in Acts. His name is Simon. So it's called Simon Magus. Magus is not in there, but it means magician or sorcerer. It says, uh, verse nine, now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So already here, Philip comes, there's already some man doing miraculous things and he's got quite a name for himself. He's been doing this sort of single-handed like show and, and so Philip arrives and it's amazing because Luke writes, very, makes it very parallel. It's almost like there's the same kind of a feel happening. This man is doing amazing, miraculous, wondrous things that people are amazed the people. Then Philip comes along, does amazing, miraculous, wonderful things and the people are amazed. It's kind of parallel. It seems like there's a lot of similarities. It says, verse six, they all paid attention to what he, Philip, said. Verse 10, all the people gave him, Simon, their attention. Um, secondly, the, the people, they're just two men. They're somewhat indistinguishable from one another. They're both doing something powerful, remarkable, and, and, and receiving attention. But, and they're both just two guys doing this. Philip and Simon. Simon and Philip. The three words that we pointed out seem really relevant here. Like, relevant, actually, is the first word. Relevant, spectacular, Powerful. Both men seem to kind of have these elements at work in what they're doing. Both seem relevant. The the activities, word and deed of both men seem to uh, connect with the lives of the population. Spectacular. People are apparently wowed by what these men are doing. And thirdly, they both seem to possess powerful abilities of some kind. But here's the thing. These men could not be more different than each other. What's the difference? Well, here is, is what today we're talking about. The spirit of God Versus the spirit of the world and what it means to be relevant, what it means to be spectacular or popular, what it means to be powerful. There is a relevance that is truly spectacular and truly powerful, but there's also one that is broken, it's co opted, it's ultimately passing away. Uh, one is something that we cannot control for our own benefit, and the other is absolutely about control, and it's absolutely about my own self interest. And unfortunately, I am hardwired for the latter. I'm hardwired, unfortunately, in my nature to seek the latter, to control, to protect. But there is a way to begin to live according to the former, this life-giving way. So we're going to use these two men and their stories to highlight the two ways. So first thing, relevant, much. (laughs) You older folks will understand that. That's kind of us hip people. We go... Relevant much? I wanna show you someone who is relevant. So Melody (laughs) used to be cool. And she has a bumper sticker to prove it. Melody's actually preaching here February 10th. Super excited to have Melody preach. Um, But think about how do you measure your own personal relevancy? Are you relevant? Are you relevant? Do you feel relevant? in your culture, in your society? How do you measure it? How many followers on Instagram have you got, huh? I'm approaching 400. <laughs> but what percentage of your followers actually like your stuff? That's the problem, I can't figure it out. Can anyone help me with that? Yeah, I know, it's tough. It keeps me awake at night. You know, one of my favorite like, kind of techno dance tracks is by a band called LCD Sound System, and it's called I'm Losing My Edge. And it's about this guy, James Murphy, uh, who's getting older, and he's realizing that it doesn't matter what he's done, what he's pioneered, what he's experienced, what he knows. He is getting older, and there are younger people coming up behind him who, simply by the fact of their youth, make him irrelevant. And he just wrote this song about it one day, it became a huge hit. And he's just talking all the way, to, you know, through, and he says one point: "I hear everybody that you know is more relevant than everybody that I know." And it's just that kind of like, ah, these people coming up from behind. And the whole video basically is him saying the lyrics with the music in the background, he's being slapped in the face by this hand the whole way through. It's remarkable, you should watch it. But who here feels the pressure to be relevant? At work, at school, at church? Who we know, what we know, what we have done, where we have been, what we think, read, say, do, believe, etc. be relevant. Relevancy. What about when it comes to faith? How do you make the gospel relevant to people's lives? Like through you. Well, the question is, what is relevancy? What does it mean to be relevant? Good old Webster's Dictionary says, first definition, closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered. Or appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances of contemporary interest. That sounds like a bit of a moving target, doesn't it? What is relevant would seem that it would change quite regularly according to the context, the culture. (laughs) That's stressful, isn't it? Must be relevant, must be relevant. So what about the relevance of Simon? Let's look at Simon. It says they followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his Instagram posts, (laughs) which in some ways is sorcery. The way these kids use these filters, I actually watched this guy, I went to this rock and roll show the other night, as I do with Ronna and uh, Michael Clifford and a bunch of other New of people happened to be there too. I was shocked to see them. But there's this guy in front of me using an iPhone to take pictures and the way his finger was moving with all the different filters and, you know, exposures on an iPhone, it was just shocking to me. It is a form of sorcery, man. Well, Simon apparently had it down and he had so many followers. His Instagram was just lit It was blowing up. Is it lit? Is that the word? But then Philip comes along. And the text says that Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip. You know, he thought, this is good. Like, Simon signed up for Philip's fail-proof social media growth program. (laughs) But Philip was something these people had never seen before. They had never encountered. They didn't know what they were seeing. The relevance of Philip... Here's the thing about Philip. He had no relevancy of his own to offer, and he didn't care to. Yet his words and actions spoke of the deepest of relevancies. In fact, relevancy is is related to another word, which is relationship, and that's what was relevant about Philip, was relationship. Because what did he do? He came and he proclaimed the Messiah. He came and he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. He proclaimed the name of Jesus Christ, and there is nothing more relevant than Jesus. There is nothing more relevant. Like, he will engage with any context, any culture, any situation, and be utterly, completely, fully relevant to the needs of the people of that time and that place, no matter where they are, who they are, or what they're doing. Because his kingdom is about peace, and peace is always relevant. Love is always relevant. Hope is always relevant. Joy is always relevant. And it's always what we need. It's amazing. It's the very first time in Acts that the word joy is mentioned. It says when Philip comes and he shares and proclaims the gospel, there was great joy in that city. That's relevant. Because we all suffer from a lack of all these things, and Jesus brings each one of them into our lives, and that is, strikes right at the heart of what we need that is relevant. Jesus transcends what we think of as relevancy. Jesus is not cool, He is true. He does not fit into the current standards of the time. He often speaks against them. But he is the ultimate standard for relevancy. Because of relationship, calling all things into conformity with himself. What about spectacular? It's like that which is seen, right? Spectacles. I see the spectacular with my spectacles. How many of you this morning, when you looked yourself in the mirror? Once you all ready for church and said, You look spectacular! <laughs> right? We had, a friend, we had a friend, Nigel Goodwin from England, and he always, every time he'd come up to where we lived on the church and he, for this kind of faith and arts thing, and he would all, oh, he had this catchphrase, he'd always say, he'd say, Good morning, good looking, right? And people would say and he said, No, you're supposed to say that to yourself in the mirror in the morning. You say, Good morning, good looking. It's good. Well, you do look spectacular by the way, you do. What about Simon, spectacular Simon? What was spectacular about him? They followed him, it says, because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. He had amazed them. They were amazed by something he did, by some attribute, some something that he did, but it was just party tricks, not a whole lot of substance. You know, that what he was doing in and of itself was really the full story. There was no kind of community movement change. It was really a way to make money, probably. Spectacular, and then the audience claps, the curtain falls, and then nothing. What about Philip? It says that they believed. They believed. Like the word belief is amazing, especially in this context. You know, he did miraculous signs, but always. Uh, accompanied by this call, this invitation, that there was something more. This is just, yeah, this is great and this helps you, but there's something bigger, something more, a promise. And he—and they, he, they saw only the smallest glimpse of the power and glory and majesty and unending, this is a possibility and growth and change and healing of the kingdom of God, but they, they, they were attracted to it. But it wasn't spectacular in the way of the world. It was, it was deeper than that. And they came and they, they wanted it. They believed. Three, powerful. What was the power of Simon? Well, apparently Simon was the power of Simon, right? Simon says, uh, it says he boasted that he was someone great. Ever done that? Ever felt the need to do that? Assert yourself. I have. Take credit for stuff. And even though you sort of deserved it, you was not done solo or single-handedly, but for some reason you lacked something. You needed to prove that you had some power. You had some place in the world. And there's Simon. He boasted he was something great. Well, apparently people all agreed with him. So desperate they were for leaders, they said, this man is rightly called the great power of God. It's a demonstrable fact that people desperately want to follow strong leaders who display deep self-belief in themselves and their own abilities, you recognize that? The world of politics, I think, demonstrates that every single day. I'm not naming any names, but I'm saying we are desperate to follow strong leaders who proclaim utter self-belief because we don't believe too strongly in ourselves and we will go to that strong person and it happens in the church all the time as well. You know, see, the worst thing you do at the end of a sermon is say, then again, what do I know, right? (laughs) I'm never going to do that. But but it's dangerous. Power is dangerous. Those who experienced what it means to have power have a constant hunger for more says in verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hand, he offered them money and said, give me this ability so that everyone who, on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I want that power. I want that power. What did Peter answer? May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God. It literally means to hell with your money. That word perish is destruction. It's destruction is always talked about as far as those who set themselves up as the enemies of God and, and who are in, go to destruction. To destruction with your money. That's a harsh response. What about the power of Philip? Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah. The crowd heard Philip and saw the powerful signs he performed. But it wasn't him wielding it. It wasn't his power, and it was purposeful. It was for people to come to know the source of the power. And the amazing thing, it was a free gift. Philip didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. He didn't buy it. It simply was given as he offered himself to the mission, to the kingdom, to the one who made him and said, I am all yours. Use me as you wish. He was filled with his power, and he went about doing these things. They cannot be manipulated. It's not ours. You cannot control the spirit of God. The Bible says it's like the wind going where, here and there. And and the most beautiful thing is to be caught up in that movement. But you can't control it. You know... uh, Churches are not immune to this, man. We are. I heard actually, I think it was an interview or something with Henri Nouwen, and he said that, that he'd actually heard a church described with these words, you know? Spectacular, relevant, powerful. But so often it's the easier way of being these things that we revert to rather than what we're about to hear, which is the harder way. And it all comes down to the condition of your heart. Simon gets a really pretty bad rap, so much so that a word was invented After his name, it's called simony, right? Uh, John, who's doing slides today, thanks John, love you man. He said, he read that thing, he said, it's like having a disease named after you. (laughs) Simony basically means this, a deliberate intention of buying or selling for a temporal price, such things that are spiritual. That's just like a mixing of these worlds. Simon was saying, I'll give you money. Trading in the power of the world for something that was just not controllable, was not, was not able to be bought or sold, and was for everyone. Peter says his heart is wrong. It comes down to a condition of the heart. Your heart is not right before God to have such a, heart in your, uh, such a thought in your heart. So, you know, it's interesting. The early church was coming out of a time of great difficulty. And I think that it's at times like those especially where we find there's a tendency to grasp onto these methods. To seek to be relevant. To seek to do something spectacular. To seek to be powerful. And Philip came in. It's interesting. Jesus kind of set up this model that people go two by two into ministry. You know, the Mormon missionaries actually do that. They go in, they take it very seriously. They always go in pairs. But there's wisdom in that. Because sometimes solo ministers They don't have anyone to check their excesses or the fact that they wander sometimes into these worlds, these areas. And there's a strong tendency, especially when things have been difficult, to revert to the tools of the world to accomplish, try to accomplish the work of God, and it will not work. And I think we all face the same challenges in our lives. When difficulty or challenge comes, uh, our little fragile egos (laughs) seek to gain relevance, to do something spectacular, to to find power. It's generally all about the need for control, but unfortunately, the primary way in which we find ourselves caught up in the beautiful work of God in our lives is by willing to give up control, to surrender it all, and trust. Success can be dangerous too. I just spent a large part of my life running from success and failure and doing this mediocre middle ground because I was scared to succeed because it would require more responsibility and I was scared to try anything in case I failed. But you know, if you are successful, like here, New Song, you know, if, if, we, if, if we really catch this vision and, we, and God starts to use us, I guarantee you we will face the temptation to want to gain relevance, pursue relevance, do spectacular things, and, and, and have power. And it will be all about how do we keep the power that we have, whatever that might shape it might take, whether it's financial, whether it's influence, whatever it might be. It's a human temptation that we have to fight. So Henri Nouwen has some words for us in how to counter this. He says this another way. And in the three chapters of his book, he talks about these, and he says the first relevance we're to move from relevance to prayer. Take our eyes off of ourselves. Recognize that relevance is a moving target and, and, and get close to God. Find the source that is always relevant and let that be the source of your life. That you are relevant to God. You're always relevant to God. He loves you and relationship is what he is desiring for us. You know, relevancy is one of those things that, you, that you'll never find if you seek it. It's like C.S. Lewis talked about joy. If you are all about trying to find joy, you will miss it every time. But joy is the byproduct of living as you should live. You will encounter joy along the way as you enter into service and care and compassion and generosity and the things that we were made to live in our lives, and you will encounter joy. Relevance is the same thing. You enter into a relationship with God through prayer and you will find relevancy is, is bestowed into you from the one who is always relevant. You don't need to be cool. From spectacle, from popularity to ministry, we don't want to be popular. We want to serve people. I don't care about being popular. I've, I've stood on a stage and played electric guitar to a bunch of people singing along and I've done autographs afterwards and it's fun. But it's pretty shallow after that. Popularity is here today, gone tomorrow. Look at Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, he's here. I'll crucify him. Right? But he continued on ministry. That's the priority. That's the focus. What about power? Everyone wants to be a leader Everyone wants to be right. Everyone wants to say what's right and do from leading to being led. Do you know Jesus was led? All the days of his life, he was led by his father. I mean, I mean, I want to set up here, man. We have like staff here and things and they lead me as I lead them because I don't know the things they know. Maybe they don't know some of the things I know. We are all, we're leaders and we're followers. We're led by God and one another. And that tendency to want to be the leader, I think, is dangerous. Um, I was thinking about this little phrase, uh, because this is hard work, this is long term. I think sometimes we're desperately seeking a shortcut to future me. We see what we want to be, and we're desperately trying to find a shortcut. And it often involves these things, relevancy, power, spectacular, popularity, whatever. Now it really gives us like a downward mobility, you know. This is like out of the limelight, and that's what he did with his life. You know, he was he taught at Princeton and Yale and Harvard, uh, I think, and uh, Notre Dame, Notre Dame. And um, he was super successful, and he actually said one one point that everyone was telling him how great he was, but there was a there was this like deadness in his soul, and he thought there's something wrong with me, and this is where this book came from. And so he actually had an invitation to go and work in this place um, called La Arch in uh, Canada, uh, which was basically a a residential home for developmentally disabled men. And so he left all academia, all of the stardom and the book writing and stuff, and he moved and served these men. And they didn't care about how relevant he was. None of them could read or had read any of his books. you know, they'd be like at the dinner table and he, he was passing someone some meat and said, oh, uh, I want this. You know, it's just like, they t- t- he's just like an equal, right? And he, it changed his life. He stepped out of relevancy and spectacular and powerful into just serving these people. And that's where this book comes from. Downward Mobility. You know, I know the struggle. Don't you think that in preparing to do what I do here on this little platform every Sunday, I don't go through the struggle of wanting to be relevant and spectacular and powerful? I don't, no, I do. <laughs> so in my office last night, I was working on this message and I told Ronna and others to pray for me because as I described it, this particular message was proving to be what I called a breach birth. It was difficult and I think, I realized suddenly that the impulse in me to be these things, the very things I was gonna talk about was preventing me from being open to what God was wanting to do, and I felt dead when I wanted you to think well of me, to see me as relevant, to see me as spectacular or powerful, and oh, and you saw we're building it. You know, it's like, and I just said, God, I got on my knees, literally in my office, and I repented. I confessed my desire to be thought well of, to be thought of relevant or spectacular or powerful. And I asked that God would set me aside, that his light would shine. I said, Captivate the people that you love. May they be so thoroughly captivated with your relevance and your power that they would look right past me. You know, when I first started working at a church, you know, you get this title, right? You're whatever, pastor of blah, 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 or you become an elder. And like, you don't know what you're doing, right? But you pretend because you think you're meant to be this way. And so you, you say these things every now and then, and you're like, and at the time you're like, what the heck am I saying? I hope they don't realize I'm an imposter. I was reading about Henri Nouwen, and one of the stories of his early time was he was so desperate to be a, like a priest when he was older, his family made him a little set of priest clothes. No, I'm not kidding, it's for real. And he would actually kind of pretend to do the mass, the communion thing, right? Because he was so desperate to do it, right? But he's a little kid. He doesn't know anything that these people know. I think that's so often what happens to us. And I think the message of this is just be yourself. Be irrelevant be unspectacular, be boring, uh, be lacking in power. Because the wonderful thing about the good news of Jesus is that if you invite him into your life, all of those things come from him in their proper way, in a way that is, will be compelling to the world and you won't see it. The less aware you are of it, the more likely it's actually happening, you don't think much of yourself. It's humbling and it's difficult, but it's our calling. So we're moving to a time of communion. And this, once again, I mean, this fits. What we do in communion always fits what we're talking about because it is this pinnacle moment in the journey that Jesus took with his friends and, um, and what the gospel is about, what the story of the early church is about. And Jesus says, come to the table we take this little piece of bread, this little cup, uh, and a, a new song, you know, we, we, we believe that everyone should be able to belong here, and then we let Christ work out what it means to believe and to behave, and we have resources and teaching and things about that, but, but we want people to belong. But this is something that is really a, 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 an act For those who say, yeah, I want to be with you at the table, Jesus. I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want you to fill my life and through me start to work in the world. I regret, I I repent of the brokenness of my life and my willful desire to do it my way. And I see what it's led to and I want to change that. I want you to take my life. We believe this is for those people and there's nothing wrong with just not taking it and, and resting in your thoughts about what is this all about? Is this something that I'm being called into? Um, All who desire to take up the new life found in Jesus in surrender and refusal, refusal to put themselves first anymore, who seek to grow in heart, mind and soul to love God and their neighbor, to walk the road of sacrificial love that Jesus has walked ahead of us and who accompanies us on that walk every step of the way until we meet at the time of the full restoration of all things. Let's pray. We come declaring the irrelevancy of our hectic lives, chasing after things that don't really matter all that much after all. We come declaring that what we have to offer is not that, all that spectacular after all, smoke and mirrors, the benefits of youth and helpful genetics, a few talents here and there, but nothing that the world would really be wowed by after all. We come declaring our powerlessness in the face of all that challenges us every day and ultimately in facing the certainty of our own deaths. We ask that you, God, relate this moment to our real lives, that it will be a moment of relationship with you, God, and with one another. We ask that we would encounter a taste of your spectacular love for us, that nothing we have done or will do can ever diminish or deny We ask that you empower us to take the gifts that you give to each one of us and distribute them to others each day. We humbly surrender to you our lives which belonged to you all along.